I'm Dave Lawrence, and this is the Town and Gown Podcast from Albion College. Town and Gown is a podcast about building the 21st century campus and community through the liberal arts. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. This podcast features stories and projects that involve college and community relationships. For this week's show, I talked with Albion College chemistry professor Cliff Harris, who, along with his wife, communication studies professor Karen Erlinson, launched a monthly concert series at the Bohm Theater called Blues at the Bohm. Cliff, a musician and performer himself, now finds himself in the role of concert organizer and promoter, all for the good of Albion's nightlife, and he's had a lot of help along the way. Enjoy this conversation with Professor Cliff Harris. Where did the idea for Blues at the Bone come from? Yeah, so originally it was very selfish. I uh, went to the opening night of Blues at the Bone. I mean, <laughs> opening night. I went to the opening night of the Bone Theater, and was really impressed with the sound system. And uh, I thought, wow, this is amazing. And it was strange. And I guess that was the night that I realized that they were only going to be having movies Thursday night through Sunday night. They would occasionally do things on other nights. I thought, wow, maybe we could find a way to organize a jam because I was becoming more familiar with people in the musical community around Albion. I thought maybe we could all get together and just and use this amazing sound system to have a jam. Now I understand this time I'd never been to a jam, right? But it sounded like a fun thing, right? Invite people up to the stage yeah, and play uh, music. Yeah, and well, and it hadn't even occurred to me that there would be an audience, right? I just thought some musicians would get together and. And play together. So, so I uh, started talking to people involved with the Boom and found out that just to open it up, right, and turn the lights on and have it for a couple hours was not uh, cheap, right? It you know it was a few hundred dollars at least, right? I was like, wow, okay, now suddenly that means I got to charge people ten or fifteen bucks, and what's this going to be? And then some that night, some brainstorming ensued. Um, so I have a family connection to the bone because Mary Slater is my mother-in-law. She and uh, Richard Lewin are on the board of directors. And so we ended up, uh, Karen Erlinson, who's Mary's daughter, myself and, uh, and Mary Slater ended up sitting around the kitchen table at the bed and breakfast here in town and started brainstorming. Like, okay, what could we do, right? And it was at that place that we came up with the idea of maybe other people would like to come watch People Jam and Either Karen or Mary came up with the idea of having somebody cater it, sold separately, having some local restaurant provide food for it. So suddenly we thought we had something that sounded kind of cool and kind of different. And uh, I think this was in January when the opening was. We'll have to look at when that was. I think it was in January. And December. Yeah, yeah somewhere in there. Yeah. Yep. And we, so we set a goal to do the first one in March and went for it. <laughs> I had no idea what this really would be and how it would work. You know, like I said, I, I started a blues jam without ever having been to one. So I booked a band that said they would play even if no one showed up, and then started promoting it. Um, and it was all kind of weird how the whole thing worked out because on the first Blues of the Bone was March, I think, second of last year, and that was actually Nancy Doyle's first day. She was the, the, the current director of the Bone. So she doesn't know the Bohm Theater without Blues at the Bohm because her first day showing up I was my first day putting together that, that first show. 
So we tried several different formats at the first four months, um, and I had lots of good mentoring from Coach Ronnie Parker and, and from Kelly Kidder at Dickerson Music. And eventually we, we settled into a groove, to use a musical analogy. Pun intended. <laughs> and that just has, uh, has grown in, in popularity. Yeah. So you were, you were looking at filling one of those um, available nights at the Bohm, doing kind of what you like to do anyway, you know, could, could you have seen it being done if, if the bone hadn't been revived and opened back up? No, oh, no way. I mean, certainly not in that space. One of the big draws for, the, for Blues at the Bone is musicians come to a place that is perfectly designed for music because the bone was designed not just for movies but for live performance. And it has a, just a cool, uh, a cool vibe both in its architecture, in its appearance, and in the fact that it's not a bar. Most, most jams are in places where their main goal is to sell you beer, wine, liquor, and food, mm -hmm. right? And the main thing at the BOEM is the music. So the audiences that show up applaud for solos as if they were a jazz audience, right? They're so into the music. Uh, it's more like a concert. It's very much like a concert in terms of the audience, but you're, but you're running it as a blues jam. And so people love the bands, but many people uh, come primarily for the jam because they like that they don't know what's going to happen, right? They like the energy of people who met five minutes before suddenly playing together. <laughs> so you, you have a musical background. T tell me a little bit about that, how, you know, you've, you've already got an interest in music, so it kind of led to this. Yeah, I mean, I come from a musical family, right? I mean, my, I don't have any memories of, of not being surrounded by musicians. Um, my, on both sides of my family, my grandmother uh, played a mandolin when I was growing up. Uh, my, on my, my father's side, my maternal grandmother uh, was just amazing. There wasn't an instrument that she couldn't play. She'd just pick up anything and ask how it was strung, and, and suddenly she could, just, she could figure out the chords in her head, and she could just play along. Mm. She played trumpet and trombone, all this kind of stuff. She was a, in the Salvation Army. She played in a Salvation Army band, mm. right? And then all of, all of the kids on my mom's side were all musical. Uh, my uncle was in a, a new wave band in the 80s called The Secrets on the West Coast. And uh, so I'm in the third generation of that family now. And there are three of my 15 cousins. Three of them have uh, recording deals, right? They're professional musicians. They make their living uh, doing music. So I'm sort of the least musical. I don't even, I don't, I'm nothing. I don't even have a recording deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we should tell uh, folks that you're a chemistry professor, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. I have a day job uh, as a professor of chemistry at Albany College. Yeah. Right. But you, you've done some performing, and so how is, how is the transition from performing music to, like, booking music and running a show gone for you? Yeah, it was, uh, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, it's, funny. it's actually funny because now I say I'm the producer of Blues at the Bone. If you're talking to people in music, they know what that means. But I didn't know what that title was. Nancy Doyle was the first person to tell me I was a producer. I'm like, oh, was that what I'm doing? <laughs> okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so I mean, I promote it, organize it, book it. Um, think about it probably a little too much, right? It's hard for me to stop thinking about it. Um, but it, what, what has been created is something... Man, so much more than we would have thought. I mean, the thing is booked up 
for the next seven months, eight months already. Um, and I've got, my, my biggest problem right now is handling the number of bands that want to come play and figure out how to keep them happy while, I, while they wait for until I have an open spot for them to play. It's, it's kind of a good problem to have. It's an excellent problem to have, yeah. So somebody pays $5 and they come to the Bohm Theater in downtown mm-hmm. Albion. Right. What are they going to see when they come? You know, that's super important. Uh, I'm going to answer this question in two ways. So um, I don't think that what they see is what people expect when you say the words blues jam. And the reason, the, the per- my mother has taught me many things, including uh, how to sing and paying for lessons and all kinds of things, but she came to the last jam. And afterwards she said, I don't know what I thought this was going to be, but this was not it. Right? And so I, I suspect after that, that people, when they think of blues jam, just think of a bunch of people kind of messing around and, and, uh, and not really playing a song, right? But what they actually get when they, cook, when they pay their five bucks is uh, a beautiful theater where you can sit in the balcony or the main area uh, that's well lit and comfortable, where the sound is awesome. And then a really good professional band plays for about 44, 40, 45 minutes often from a, a CD or some other uh, set of music that they've just written and published. So it's a lot of original music, mm-hmm. right? They'll do that for anywhere from a half hour to 45 minutes, depending on what I've negotiated with them. And then there'll be about a five minute break uh, where I will have organized a jam, mixing in some of those band members with people who showed up that night and signed up, at this point, not more than a half hour before. And I'll, they will have met in the corner back room just before the end of that first set to decide what three songs they're going to play, right? And many times these people have never met each other before, right? No, no audition. They introduce, I'll introduce them, hi, this guy's going to play drums, and this guy's going to play bass, and I'm going to play two guitars and a horn, probably a harmonica, and uh, everybody looks at the lead singer and says, what are we going to do, right? And he starts bouncing songs off of them, well, do you guys know this, could we do this? And after a few minutes, uh, they, uh, they, they've, so they've had that conversation at the, towards the end of the band playing. And then the minute that band is done, there's a uh, really excellent backstage, backstage tech named Carrie Heiser. She will have already worked out with them where they're going to go. So there's a scramble uh, for them to all, uh, for me to organize who's coming on and who's coming off. For them to look at this this uh, ad, this amplifier they're going to do, plug into it, do a quick uh, sound check to make sure they're going, and usually five minutes later, there's a brand new band that's playing something that they decided ten minutes before. Um, so it's truly amazing. During that five minutes, then we're sort of uh, talking to people in the audience, and making sure they know about the food that's available and the concessions and the and the CDs that might be down front, right? There's sort of some local commercials for people who are supporting the show, right? We'll talk about Dickerson's music and their incredible dedication to the show, and um, talk about uh, the next show that's going to be coming up and that sort of thing. Um, but then five minutes later, it feels like a another concert's going on, um, and that's what's amazing at that point is that the audience knows they saw those guys sometimes shake hands on the way into the back room. They know they just met, and that, suddenly that there's the amazing rehearsal. music going forth, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was the rehearsal. Yeah. That's funny. So, uh, the Boehm is an important part of this because you have a venue, you have a stage, you have a good sound system. What has it been like to work with the, the new Boehm Theater? Yeah, they're, they've been fantastic. I mean, so accommodating and so um, cooperative. 
uh, in this in this whole thing, because of course we created it together. Nancy Doyle has been side by side partner in the, in this in this whole thing. She she has a great background in live music performances in small theaters in Michigan, and uh, and so was able to help me figure out how to do a lot of this stuff that I had no idea about when we first got going. She has handled parts of the promotion and has handled putting ads and reached out to people she's known. So yeah, it's, she's been a great partner the whole thing the whole time for sure. And the board has been totally supportive right. from the get-go. And it, it must feel good to you to, I mean, somebody goes downtown Albion on a, on a Monday night, say, and they go to Cascarelli's for dinner, Charlie's, and grab a beer, and then they come to the Bohm and have a good time. It's like you're part of the nightlife now of, of downtown Albion. Yeah, it's true. It's interesting. It's really funny because uh, I have this this other, uh, this alter ego, right? So now I walk through town and, hey, Harris, good show last month, right? Uh, or you're walking downtown, hey, I've got a band. Where do I, you know, where do I sign up, right? Hey, I heard you do a jam, but who, who can come to that, right? So, yeah, it's this whole other aspect of life, which is totally enriching for me personally because, man, I get to know all kinds of people in town. I've lived here almost 20 years, but I've met a lot of people in the last year that, that I never had any interaction with before. And this town continues to amaze me for how rich it is, for how much music there is here. So this, uh, there's been two bands, Big Boss Blues. Uh, they were fantastic. They came, I think, month four or five. And um, the Kevin Nichols band, which is sort of Kevin Nichols and Blue Tuesday. Um, and uh, Mike Krupe played with both those bands. And Mike Krupe was born and raised here. He's the son of a professor of English here, right? And uh, he said to me, you know what, uh, I always knew that this could happen in Albion because when I left Albion, I was amazed that other places didn't have the same vibrant musical culture that I grew up with. He said, we grew up, we, did, we had no idea how lucky we were to be surrounded by tons of music all the time. And he said, Albion's been waiting for something like this for a long time. It should have happened long ago. I guess I knew that, but I had but haven't lived anywhere else for a long time. And so it didn't occur to me how special this place was. And, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of fun to see this uh, reflecting a part of Albion that was previously unknown. Yeah. And so you have people walking up to you on the street that may not even know that you deal with students and compounds for your day job. They just Certainly. know you as the Blues at the Bone yeah, guy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have no they're always shocked to find out that I that I uh, am a chemistry professor. That that's kind of a different person as far as they're concerned, right? <laughs> like <laughs> Superman and Clark Kent. <laughs> the alter ego analogy works really well. Yeah. Although I don't think either of them is Superman. Because <laughs> like Clark Kent and the buddy, the guy in the next cubicle. That's right. more more precise. Right. No cape for you. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Well, you know, life goes on. You and Karen are both um, transplants to Albion. Right. You you came here from other places, um, and you know Karen's uh, parents are really involved in the community. You guys are really involved in the community. You know how does it feel to give back to the community in this way for you? Yeah, it's super. It's super great because it. it um, I mean, I, I'm definitely producing a show that lets the Albion community express itself and combine itself in different ways. I mean. Maury Ditchler said, the most integrated place in Albion is the stage that blues at the bone. And I don't know whether that's true, but I'll take it as a compliment, because certainly a compliment to the show, because 
certainly the vibe at Blues of the Bone is all about the music and just as the blues and jazz have always done. Um, they provide a place for us to break down um, some of these barriers that the town and the country have been dealing with for a very long time, right? And uh, so, yeah, when you see, uh, you know, 55, 65-year-old expert guitar players on stage mentoring uh, a 15-year-old white kid, right? Uh, who, who's also a very good guitar player. Who's also a very good guitar <laughs> player, right? But you see that kind of... Uh, that kind of mentoring happened that's solely through the music and only about the music and suddenly for a few minutes it seems like uh, some of these things that dominate so much of our culture in negative ways seem to have ceased to be important right suddenly it's just the good parts of humans uh, that that are interacting um, and I think it's a nice way for us all to reflect and think about maybe more of our society could be that way you know, I mean, musicians were uh, the first people to be integrated in a lot of different scenes, right? A lot of different ways, and sometimes they were the first people to stand up for it, right? I'm, uh, uh, Ray Charles was the first uh, black musician to refuse to play in non-integrated uh, shows, and he he led that, and all of a sudden people couldn't do shows if if uh, if they weren't that way. And so I like the way that um, that music has sort of been a way for cultural progress, and I hope in some tiny way the Blues at the Bone is part of that. You're in your second year now, yeah. coming into it. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, so we started in March, so February will be the 12th show, and we'll have a, a, grand, a grand celebration of our first annual Blues at the Bone on March 14th or 15th, whichever the Monday is, 2016. What, what's, what's next for this? What, what are you looking to do? In the, in the next year. Yeah. Um, so a bunch of us involved with the show sat down and decided that we would uh, set a goal to increase the attendance because we feel like, in fact, we've been called the best kept musical secret in Southern Michigan. Um, once, once someone comes to Blues at the Bone, they very often will continue to come back. And so we think we're just not getting the word out well enough. And some of that was limited... Uh, limited budget in terms of advertising and all that kind of stuff and so we've started a, a fundraising effort to uh, to raise money so that we can promote more effectively um, we've set that goal at, at uh, $1,800 and and we had some early donors to step up early right away and set up a matching fund so already we have uh, matching funds for half of that so every dollar that's given now uh, gets another dollar given as well so I'm hopeful that, um, that we'll reach our goal, and, and uh, we're looking for donations. Contact the Bone Theater if you'd like to donate. Great. Good plug. <laughs> we performed together. We, we did a little jam at the Cascarellis a couple years ago. That's right. And, and I, I love it when you grab the mic, because I always know it's going to be fun. What's, what's your personal favorite song to perform? Uh, I have to go with All Along the Watchtower. Yeah. Uh, more on the Bob side or more on the Jimmy side? Right. Uh, I like to think I straddle those two areas, right? I, I, I've been a Bob Dylan fan since birth. Uh, and, but uh, certainly, certainly Jimi Hendrix uh, changed that song. They say that once Jimmy recorded and released that song, that Bob Dylan never, ever did it his own way again. But everybody, I, my wife makes money about this. So I obsess on certain songs, and that's definitely one of them. I think I have... 
all on the watchtower on my i on my iPhone by 19 different artists. <laughs> so what do you do? Take bits and pieces, or do you get ideas about uh, yeah, it? Yeah, I think I think that the version that I do is different than those other ones, but definitely heavily influenced by by all of them. There's some really great jam bands out there that have done that song, and. Uh, and I think that I'm influenced by all those, but now I can't tell you who because I've been listening to all of them for so long that they're all mixtures in my head, right? Ronnie Parker, Ronnie Parker was very nice. He said that uh, that the version that I did of All in the Watchtower was not a version he'd heard before. That's where you stretch, right? That's what you're shooting for mm -hmm. as a performer is find a way to do something that's that's your own band's version, right? Mm -hmm. So. Kind of like your own little jam band on uh, All Along the Watchtower. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a fun song to do, because, especially in a jam, because it's, uh, I hate to take away from it, but at its simplest form, it's three chords over and over again, um, it, which, is, which is, if you're not a musician, you think that's unusual, but there's tons and tons of songs that are super simple that people love, right? That's definitely one of mine. And rock and roll, that's all you need. Records. Yeah, exactly. It's about 90% of rock songs, right? Whole bands have never played even in another key their whole career. <laughs> Thanks to Cliff for chatting with me, and thank you for listening. You can email your comments or questions to communications at albion.edu and view show notes for this episode at albioncollege.fm. And please drop me a line if you have a show idea. I'm Dave Lawrence, and this has been the Town & Gown Podcast. <laughs>